Welcome to Journey to Medicine. I'm your host, Nathan Barreth, a biomedical sciences student at the University of Calgary. Today, my guest is Dr. Chuck Bolt. Dr. Bolt has over 30 years of experience as an anesthesiologist and discusses in this episode why he chose to pursue his specialization. Additionally, Dr. Bolt discusses what the day-to-day life of an anesthesiologist can look like and highlights upcoming and ongoing changes to his practice. I hope that by the end of this episode, you have a better idea of what anesthesiology is as a medical practice and whether or not you see it as a potential career path. And now for my conversation with Dr. Bolt. Dr. Chuck Bolt, welcome. Thanks so much for Thank you very much. agreeing to come on the show. So good to have you. Um, maybe just start with, I guess, giving myself even, as well as the listeners, just kind of a background on your journey to where you are now. And and obviously we're gonna get an anesthesiology as a specialty too, but I guess let's start with you. Um, what have you been up to? And just kind of give us some information on your journey, I guess. Uh, well, I, I came from a family with zero background in uh, medicine. And um, I was interested in starting into medicine because my uh, my cousin worked for the National Research Council and had uh, he's made inventions and things. He, I think he still works for them as 70 some year old because it's too good of a job to give up but I asked him if he was happy with his job and he said oh if I did it again I go into medicine because medicine you're dealing with people every day and that'll make everything interesting through your whole career because people are interesting and people are always changing so I started looking at it at that time and started the journey uh, graduated from University of Saskatchewan in medicine, and uh, I thought I was well suited to doing family practice, and so um, my wife's from BC, so I promised her to try to get a residency in BC, so I did a family practice residency in BC. At the time uh, that I graduated, you could just do a one-year internship and then go into practice. but the the two year program and specialty of family practice was just getting going, and I thought, well, that's probably the future of family practice, so I should do that. So I did a two year program there in Vancouver, and I wanted to practice in a smaller center, and so I wanted to bring some kind of extra skill to that rural setting. And when looking around at the extra training you could get, I felt that anesthesia would give me the skill set to manage uh, critical cardiorespiratory problems in uh, the emergency room. And so I applied and and did a a one-year program. And then I started doing locums as a general practice anesthetist. But within a couple of months, I realized I loved the ER, or I really enjoyed the ER, and I loved the OR and the office not so much. So I came home and talked to my wife, Jennifer, and she graciously said, yeah, that that's fine, and consented to having an absent husband and father for another three years. And I phoned the director of the uh, anesthesia program that I had done my one year, and he said, great, I was making my choices for uh, next year, so we'll see you in July. And so I went on to complete my FRCP in uh, anesthesia, moved to Chilliwack for 13 years, and then 
crossed over to Abbotsford, where in Lower Mainland of BC, where um, they were building a, a regional hospital. And I still have privileges there. And uh, then I worked as well part-time, um, half-time for the last 11 years up in Grand Prairie, Alberta, which is your neck of the woods. And I'm on my way to uh, the green pastures of retirement right now. That's cool. So just to give us, give myself a timeline. So how long were you in practice for? Um, so I finished my FRCP in 95. So that's 28 years. Um, so it'll be probably 29 or 30 years by the time I retire. And so there's you know, five years of doing a season residency in there. So I've been doing this for over 30 years. Wow. So you kind of talked about how you liked being in the ER and the OR more. So can you talk a little bit more, I guess, about just day to day? That's, I'm assuming, where you spend most of, if not all of your time. And what kind of role do you have within that setting? Well, so um, an anesthesiologist is a, is a perioperative physician. Um, so we care for patients in, in three main phases of operative experience, as well as other things in the hospital. But that is, you're right, where we spend most of the time. So pre-op, we are involved in optimizing patients, often uh, see them in a, in a clinic pre-op to uh, sort through their comorbidities and uh, balance the risk of anesthesia with those comorbidities, make sure they are being managed as well as they can and prep them for that OR experience. And then the day-to-day -day is mostly in the operating room. Um, and in the operating room, uh, well, if you don't like early mornings and late nights, anesthesia is probably not for you. Uh, we arrive at the hospital about 7.15 in the morning with the goal of getting the first patient off to sleep between 7.30 and 7.45. And each particular day, we usually spend with one particular surgeon. Um, so we'll do between often three to 10 cases, depending on how long or complicated the cases are. And the day will end between 3.15 and 5 o'clock. That's kind of driven by uh, nursing hours. Um, so each day would look a lot like that, four or five days a week. Um, in many places, medium-sized places, you'd be doing one day of call a week. And during the course of the week, uh, we would do, we serve many different specialties of surgery. So I might, in a week, I might do a general surgery room, a room of obstetrics, gynecology, a room of orthopedics, a room of uh, vascular surgery, and then a day of call. Call uh, in the, in bigger centers is usually uh, an overnight thing. So you'd come in at book five, take over cases. Uh, and all those cases after hours are emergency cases of some kind or other, bowel operations or, or cesarean sections that are emergency or people that are multi-traumas or orthopedic injuries. As well, the person on call, unless you're big enough to have a dedicated obstetric anesthetist, the person on call is also responsible for labor analgesia, so giving women in labor epidurals to ease the pain. Um, 
And then that on call can be from five o'clock till 7.30 the next morning. Or I've worked in a number of places where we'll do 24 hour call, especially on the weekend. Um, to come in at 7.15 and work till 7.30 the next morning. That's not always, you're not always working right through the night because of monetary constraints. Many hospitals try to limit uh, after 11 to life or limb surgery, but we're often up with obstetric um, cases or epidurals. And it's it's quite unscripted on those days. And that's something actually that I quite enjoy. Other things we do in the hospital is uh, we may do every day, every week or two weeks, have a day of consult service where you meet patients with uh, complicated medical conditions and you talk over how to manage those around the time of surgery and come up with a plan that's agreeable to them and yourself of how to administer the anesthetic, give them an idea of the risk involved, and also um, map out a immediate post-op pain plan, uh, because in the peri-op phase, we've also become pain specialists and often manage pain in the first few days after surgery. Wow. So it sounds like day-to-day -day you're dealing with different like fields of medicine, as well as whether whether or not you're on call with different surgeons. I'm assuming different patients and their backgrounds must pose lots of like lots of background research you probably have to do on the patient for what kind of anesthetic you're going to give them. I would think seems like you can be doing a little bit of everything each day. Yeah, uh, anesthesia is a bit of a unique specialty uh, in that we uh, we learn a lot about surgery. We don't do the the techniques, but through working with surgeons over many years and um, learning from them about the conditions, we learn a lot about surgery. The cardiorespiratory aspects, the, the airway management, the physiology, the medications we use uh, gives us a great deal of knowledge of, of medicine, like internal medicine kind of things. And um, I'm describing a kind of a general anesthetist, but you can subspecialize in many things because it's a natural jump from anesthesia to ICU. So the paths to being an ICU doc are, most are through internal medicine, some are through surgery and some are through anesthesia. Um, and pain medicine has become an anesthesia uh, path as well. So there are specialists who just do chronic pain and uh, many procedures and manage people with various chronic pain diseases. And then just like other subspecialties, um, if you're an orthopod, orthopedic surgeon, you can subspecialize in joints or mm -hmm. shoulders or whatever, or a general surgeon can subspecialize into liver transplantation or uh, major bowel reconstruction or that kind of thing. And there's paths there where you can you can subspecialize in neuroanesthesia or uh, cardiovascular anesthesia or variety of things. Hmm. Sounds like a pretty diverse specialization. Yep, you've got got lots of choices. Hmm. So you kind of talked about some days when you're on call, you're not sure 
what to expect. Is that part of why you wanted to become an anesthesiologist or can you just speak a little bit on that, I guess? Um, I, I'm not sure that when I got into it, I knew exactly that, but after I'd done a year of anesthesia and then did it um, as a locum in, in smaller centers, I, I did enjoy that emergency aspect of it. So in um, surgical specialties and um, anesthesia specialty emergency, uh, there is some instant gratification. Uh, whereas mm -hmm. in, um, so I guess that's part of my character is I, I enjoy having that a result immediately. You see what, see what happens. Whereas internal medicine, you're working over a long period of time to see change in a patient or psychiatry or family practice. And for many people, that is something they love. Um, and that's an aspect I miss from family practice, uh, following people through, you may follow them through a lifetime and help them through that lifetime. Um, but I guess I'm more suited to the immediate response. And the unscripted nature of on-call, I've, I've just gotten to kind of enjoy that. Um, not particularly why I went in, but to me, it's a, it's a benefit. Interesting. Um, so I feel like with anesthesia, are you constantly learning about new, like new forms of anesthesia, whether it's new, um, new like analgesics or different pain medications that you're administering? Like, can you just speak on like some recent advancements or changes in medicine that you feel like have impacted your practice? Sure. Um, the, uh, during the 30 some years that I've been doing this, there's kind of been a gradual or relentless evolution in the monitoring equipment we use. When I started, um, pulse oximetry had, had just come into practice. Um, measurement of end tidal CO2 was a, a brand new thing. Um, I was at Vancouver General Hospital doing this. We had one analyzer. It was a mass spectrometer for 25 operating rooms to measure end tidal CO2. It's, it's done on the machine now. It's standard monitoring the Canadian Anesthesia Society, it's one of the standard monitors you, you have to have to be within the rules. Um, so the, that kind of thing, we the numbers we got were 15 minutes ago because it took that long for the mass spectrometer to, to do this. So that's one example. Um, but the new monitoring equipment gives us a much more precise picture of the physiology of the patients second by second. And at the same time, as you said, the medications and interventions available to us have uh, really come along with that monitoring. Um, so we're able to correct or manipulate the physiology that we see to, uh, to a place where we want it for the operation. And at the same time, surgical techniques have changed dramatically over that time, making something safer or just some operations possible that weren't before. So if you if you look at all those things in concert, what it is that over the course of time, we are able to offer a more varied anesthetic experience, a safer anesthetic experience to a much broader 
swath of people than we were in the past. 30 years ago, a lot of the people we're putting to sleep or giving regional anesthesia to now would just have been rejected. They wouldn't have ever come to the operating room because the surgeons would say, the risk of you dying is way too high. So the result of that is we are doing more and more sick people as time goes on, but the expectations are always the same as that, yeah, I'm gonna come through this just fine. Um, mm. And I, I've heard that so many times over the last 10 years. Yeah, it seems that like people are just sicker and sicker. But because of all these changes, we are able to um, manage them very well and, and risk has actually gone down over mm. time. Sounds like it's kind of been become more tailored to each individual patient almost. Yeah, we have we do have a broad swath of available things like medications that we use, uh, pain relievers. We've, we've got continue to advance where we can uh, give them infusions of something called remifentanil that's, oh, I don't know, 10,000 times stronger than morphine. Um, and you can stop it and be rid of it immediately, but uh, those things come with their own dangers too, because um, they are are very powerful drugs. Interesting. And, yeah, as you said, uh, we're always learning. If if you stop learning in any field of medicine, you're behind so quickly. And right. I think a big part of medical education now is uh, not just accumulating the knowledge, but knowing how to look for knowledge. Because the the things in medicine, the the enormity of the volume of things that you would have to learn to have a complete view of medicine is just impossible for us. But we have computers. So I remember having this argument during a practice exam at some point in my career and some gynecology uh, final year residents was quizzing me on some form of gynecologic cancer. And I said, well, I don't know, but I know where I can look that up. He's going, well, that's, that's not acceptable. I said, well, I can have that information in two minutes. And yeah. he was irate because I didn't understand his specialty as much as he thought I should. But the, it's a fact. You, If you know how to get the information and filter it, because... I mean, everybody can get a lot of information, but the fact is most people can't filter that because they don't have the background that you're going to have in a few years of, of medical school and many years of practice. So knowing how to use the internet isn't isn't the answer. You still have a great deal of expertise to offer people. Because yeah, what does that process look like for you? Like learning about these new forms medication developments in, in, in research towards new medications and new ways of, of providing relief to patients? Like, what does that look like for you, like day-to-day -day almost? Well, I, I have a couple of feeds that send me articles, um, and there are too many to read. So I, I have certain interests that I will actually look up some articles. And if there is something that I'm particularly interested in, um, it, we work as a community. And so we'll have journal clubs. And if there's something of great interest that I think will 
change practice, then I would submit that to a, a study for a journal club so we can talk about it. Um, I remember in residency, uh, we all had to take a statistics course and very few of us ever understood statistics. But in residency, we had a, a lady in the department who specialized in it. So <laughs> whenever we had something that would might change practice, we would bring it to Pam and say, is this actually realistic? Um, mm. And if you're doing it in a group, chances are there's there's somebody in your group who can do that, or you can read about it or submit it to somebody else. But you're constantly reading journals, going to meetings. Um, fortunately, medical meetings tend to be in places that are are not undesirable to go to, like mm. Hawaii and California and that kind of place. So it's it's uh, nice to go to those meetings, but there's also world experts that are that are going there. Um, so I still enjoy going to to that kind of thing, even though I'm sort of on my way out. Hmm. How frequently is that like that those meetings happening for you? Like, is that a monthly thing or bi yearly? No, um, they're they're pretty costly, and and you need to have time off from like a week off from work at a time. So I would go right. to something like that every couple of years or or so right and do you feel like these new advancements are like are lowering risk factors sort of what we talked about earlier or uh no, no one advancement will dramatically lower the risk to people hmm. but over time there are there are very gradual gradations i would say and some things that show promise at the beginning just don't pan out things that we we hope for Currently, there's a lot of research and um, there are devices about how to, say, predict episodes of hypotension of a patient while in surgery by non-invasive means of measuring their their pulse oximetry display. So mm. with computer magic, these monitors that are non-invasive are supposed to predict hypotension. And that's, I mean companies are going to make a lot of money on that but at this point nobody's been able to show that even though you know the, the sales guy says this is a great deal and this is the future of medicine right. so uh, i think when you're reading that or listening to a salesman you, you have to take that with a grain of salt and and sit back and look and often the big the big programs the big academic centers it's part of their job to to really vet that stuff and test it out and come to opinions. So you always try to keep a liaison there with people from your program or people that you trust about new advancements. Right. So it's almost good not to get too caught up in sort of new wave technology kind of understand. It's, it's more incremental than these yes. massive breakthroughs. And a single study never proves anything. Um, Mm. there's always you need follow-up studies and and so it's it's a slow process to to get real right. data right and in the end um if it's a technique that you just don't like or you 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 can't seem to get to work maybe it's not the best technique for you maybe you've been providing very safe anesthesia with something else for years and and that new thing is not something that you have to use 
because there is the art of anesthesia as well as the the science. Um, I'd like to end off. Thanks so much for your time. But one last question before we go. So what advice do you think you would give to someone aspiring to become a doctor, but I guess in regards to anesthesiology, what kind of person or what kind of what kind of advice or knowledge would you want to pass down to someone interested in pursuing your specialty? Well, I, I think anything in medicine is, is a hard going along go. Um, the material that you learn through your medical education isn't, <clears throat> isn't mind bendingly difficult. It's just the enormity of the volume that you're going to have to stuff into that brain over the years and anesthesia is the same and you're gonna to have to keep learning. So one piece of advice is just, you need to build and have uh, a lot of mental and physical endurance to get through that. Mm. And if you're gonna have an extended career in whatever specialty you choose, you should, you should love that. Um, and to know if you love that, you need to expose yourself to that. So if you want to, if you're thinking about anesthesia, go find people you can spend a week or two with and see right. what their lifestyle is, see what they do, see if you think you would love that. I, I love the physical nature of doing a lot of procedures in what I do, as well as the scientific nature in, in all the physiology and the medical manipulations that, that uh, I can do. And just to, as a general um, general thing, just try to expose yourself to a bunch of different experiences because you may be thinking of anesthesia or you may be thinking of orthopedics, but expose yourself to a broader range uh, so you can say, yeah, no, I, I kind of tried that or I looked at it, but this is really what I, I think I'll love. And also try to have... Um, a little bit of a life outside of medicine even in medical right. school and residency it's it's hard because the time demands are so big but i remember my wife and i getting ready to host a, a little party when i was in end of third year medicine and she says so who are you inviting and when i opened my mouth she says oh no don't bother you guys were all so unique and interesting when you got into medicine and now you're all the same and it's true. You just medicine sort of spoils your life in some way because you stop that other life that you had. So try to keep a little of that alive because on the other side, there is the opportunity to have a life outside of medicine, but right. only if you design it that way, if you give yourself the break, uh, the renewal that you need to live outside of medicine, because sooner or later that's going to be over. And I've seen too many colleagues just not know what they're going to do if medicine is mm -hmm. over. And if you're caught in something you don't like, you have to endure a career instead of enjoy a career. So right. try to enjoy what you do. Yeah. Almost don't let it become your sole identity. Is this exactly this thing that you're chasing? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, like that can be a part of yourself. Of... Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I feel like that's probably a problem for a lot of, a lot of uh, intensive professions, but certainly for medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Thank you very much for coming on. This was a great discussion to have. I know I learned a lot. I'm sure other people will too. Great to talk to you and um, yeah, take care. Enjoy the rest of your trip. Thanks, Nathan. Good luck to you in, in medicine. If you got any questions about anesthesia, let me know. Take care. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Journey to Medicine. If you like the show, please leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, and I'll see you next time.